Rub-a-dub-dub and welcome to another episode of Sequel Pitch, the podcast where we ruin a movie by trying to create a franchise just like Hollywood itself. Diana has put away her bosom, Apollo has lifted his skirt, and the day has been launched. I'm your host Andy Henry and I have paid the penalty of picking a terrible movie and I am finally allowed back as your host, or in this case for this week, your big. And the littles under my care this week are Drew Toynbee. Hello there. Ross Hansen. Hello. And the six foot tall, I think, are you not, Matt? Six foot four, get it right. Six foot four, little Matt Rushton. Hello there. <laughs> this week we took a look at the 2008 Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott comedy Role Models. Let's get straight in with the synopsis. Danny, played by Paul Rudd and Wheeler, Sean William Scott, are salesmen for an energy drink called Minotaur, and they go around schools encouraging kids to stay off drugs by drinking the corrosive drink. While Wheeler loves the job, Danny views it as pointless and dead-end, causing him to fall into a depression. This causes his girlfriend Beth, played by Elizabeth Banks, to break up with him after he impulsively proposes to her. At another school presentation, the pair find themselves in trouble and are arrested and charged with assault and disorderly conduct. Beth, a lawyer, strikes a deal with a judge where, in lieu of going to jail, the guys have to log 150 hours of community service uh, in 30 days with a Big Brother, Big Sister program called Sturdy Wings. There, Gail Sweeney, played by Jane Lynch, pairs Wheeler with Ronnie, a young boy with a potty mouth, played by Bobby J. Thompson, and Danny with Christopher Munt's uh, phase. Uh, the, the McLovin kids basically play McLovin again. Um, Christopher Mintz Platts. It's a Platts. Or something similar. It's McLovin, but like, just a bit older, basically. The pairs get off to a rocky, <laughs> rocky start, but the bigs end up bonding with their littles. Wheeler and Ronnie bond over being abandoned by their fathers and the band Kiss, while Danny and Augie uh, bond uh, when they realise they are both involved in Sturdy Wings uh, against their will. Danny joins Augie's Layer, or live-action interactive role-playing explorers game. During the game, Augie manages to sneak up on the Layer King, Augatron, played by Ken Jong, and kill him, but the king lies and tells everyone that he killed Augie, making Augie cry. Augie is pissed, but at a family dinner, uh, Danny insults Augie's mother and her boyfriend for refusing to be supportive of Augie. Wheeler takes Ronnie to a party and leaves him unsupervised to get laid, resulting in Ronnie walking home alone. Danny and Wheeler are expelled from the program and get in a fight blaming each other before going their separate ways. Danny convinces King Orgatron to allow himself and Augie to fight in the next battle as Wheeler apologises and makes up to, with Ronnie. The King allows Danny and Augie to fight but secretly warns the other members of Augie's Lair team that allowing Augie to fight will cause certain doom to their country. So they call and kick Augie out of the country saying he's too much of a liability. Danny convinces Augie, Wheeler and Ronnie to start a new country based on the members of KISS and arrives uh, to the fight in a KISS-themed Minotaur truck naming their new country KISS Myanthia. Augie finally fights and defeats the king, however Sarah, a girl who fancies Augie, comes out of hiding and kills him, taking the crown and winning the game. Augie doesn't mind as he fancies Sarah too and accepts Sarah's offer to be her king. Augie's mum and boyfriend see the trouble Danny went through and forgive him. Impressed that Weeder and Danny actually care for the kids, Gail clears their name with the judge so they don't have to go to jail. And we end with Danny serenading Beth with a rendition of the Kiss song Beth before they kiss and reconcile. Oh, so what do we think, boys? I mean, I just love that you were like, I'm not even going to bother calling it the second 60 second summary. I'm just going to be like, ah, no, we're just going straight into. Just, I'm just going to call it the, the Wikipedia plot yeah. synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> so this comedy screams to me 2008, I think. Oh, God, does it? Yeah. Mm. Like, it's good. There are some good moments in yeah. this movie, but I feel some of the comedy is a bit like. Yeah. Uh, what what bits it, it, what bits Ross gone? Uh it's like it's the whole like it uh, there's not specific I can't really go into detail like about the like, joke. Do you but, like, like the opening? It's it's more the frat boy sort of like comedy like jokes, if you know what I mean. Sure, For me, sure. like it's it's just it's the the focus on boobs. Just like boobs being the joke yeah. for like and for a significant section of the film and to echo Ross, it's it's got. There are some moments that I properly laughed out mm. loud at. Yeah. And Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott have really great chemistry. They're so well. They're so. Um, they do so well together. I really want to see him in like an Ant Man film. I love if he was. Yeah, like, yeah, that'd be good. Wouldn't that be great? Oh. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, there's just some yeah. of it is. Some of it's just a touch to. 2008 a, a touch to not 2021 matt what did you think of the opening joke then <laughs> oh god i was just like oh well that's 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 the movie <laughs> that's i think that it is it's pretty it's a, it does kind of represent the movie quite well it's quite a childish silly film and it's such a disgusting silly joke at the start 
Although, well, yeah, but the thing is that the very that opening joke, at least, I I I don't think actually objectifies women. Mm. He's just, <laughs> just it's just he is just demonstrating what he did last night. Yeah. It's the it's the the focus on teaching a what eight year old boy how to look at boobs surreptitiously <laughs> that really yeah. bothered me. I, I think. Well, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> As for friends who met at university in 2008, this is yeah. exactly the thing 18, 19 year old us would have watched over a beer and pissing ourselves yeah, laughing. I, oh, yeah, I loved yeah. this over film. Over and over again. I love this movie. It hasn't aged as well as our friendship, perhaps, but there, <laughs> I, I, I do think there was some stellar. Like Jane Lynch, again, she is. Oh, yeah, she's genius. stand up. Yeah. yeah. And it's just everything she touches when it's comedy is brilliant. And it does, it kind of glosses over some of the uncomfortable cracks in this movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, I, I thought I was going to hate it more than I actually ended up hating it, if I'm completely honest. I yeah. it's, didn't it's... mind the film at all. I quite enjoyed the film at points. It's, yes. it's... What, what parts do we like the best then, where we actually found funny? I really like the Starbucks scene where he's like a venti is uh, <laughs> is twenty uh, and a grandy is large. Like, uh, yeah, that was a good scene. Like, that was some good writing. Um, venti is large, you dick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I really enjoyed the camp, uh, the whole camp scene. Yeah, I, I like the like the what's his name from bloody Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, this guy's like rubber dub dub. Oh, oh Joe, yeah, no. um, Joe Lotrolio. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Everything he says made he's me. Good. Yeah, um, he's good. Yeah. And so also pitch perfect. The king. What's his name? Kenny. Kenny, 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 Kenny John. Yeah. Kenny yeah Kenny he was... He's again when he's like. Mm. Yeah. I say this. The <laughs> casting was perfect. I can't imagine anyone better in any of these. Even the no. um, was it Ken Marino? And I can't remember the the mum, but she was the she was from Reno nine one one. Um, yeah. Just really, really good. Everyone was really perfect. Yeah, Ronnie's mum just being that being clearly just really warm and loving, but still finding the way to just draw out that little bit of comedy with the "I'm a lioness and this is my cub" speech, <laughs> yeah. and it and it feeling really. Ge- what what I one thing I really admire about this film is how genuine the comedy feels. Mm. Like none of it feels obviously the the lair larping stuff is ever is slightly heightened. Perhaps not loads. I've I've never been LARPing, and it might be more on the money than I personally actually would know. <laughs> but generally speaking, everything feels like it comes out of uh, quite a genuine place. And actually, well, and my favourite bits, the f- my favourite bits of this film aren't the funniest bits, but like when um when Orgy's sewing the patch. And oh, yeah. uh, telling Paul Rudd, telling Danny that he wanted him to join, and then he gives him the patch, and he's like, "Oh fuck, now I have to do yeah. it, don't I?" Yep. And like, a little bit of and heart. it's really, it's, yeah, it's genuine genuinely heart. heartfelt. Yeah. Yeah. And the relationship that um, Ronnie and Wheeler build, it feels mm. really genuine. Yeah, I feel, yeah. And that's that is what made the film stick with me for so long because that's what I liked about it in the first place it is funny there are some really funny moments the the moment where Paul Rudd has drunk too many energy drinks <laughs> and at the beginning and he looks down and is pissing like yeah. virulent dark green Shrek's and looks down and with a weird sort of drunk caffeinated sneer on his face goes it's like Shrek's piss and yeah. that <laughs> bit always gets me he's a really good uh kind of straight because he's supposed to be a bit like sad in this film i like when he's just like i will hit a child i will hit one <laughs> just... you're not my little i will hit you <laughs> i would hit a child yeah here's a question do you think the the it's weird because obviously we did commando and that like we were talking about how the action films are a bit that is a bit dated do you feel mm. that like the lines and the comedy and the jokes are can also be dated when you look at like 2020 as well. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. you watch this for the first time today, I think you would probably not find the humor in it that we found in it in 2008. There yeah. were certainly things that I yeah. didn't find funny watching it this time round that I would have found yeah. funny 10 years ago, absolutely. Yeah. I would I would posit though that 
weirdly so the the issues that i personally have had with commando are the um lack of finesse in the action scenes and how fake everything looks and how unrefined yeah, that yeah. aspect of it was um compared to modern stuff where i think actually the the delivery of the comedy the performances of this film could feel really contemporary it's it's the subject matter of some of the jokes for me yeah so uh, it, it's like you can tell commando is an 80s action movie because of everything about it where actually if if some of the more sexist jokes were replaced with slightly less sexist jokes i think you could convince someone who didn't well i mean paul rudd doesn't age so you could show it to someone who hadn't heard of it before now and change those jokes and they might be like oh yeah it's it's the new paul rudd film i i will go back on my uh uh my thing that i said when i did my game night thing saying about how i thought that this it, i didn't realize that we were going to do this film but then now <laughs> now looking back i'm like oh i did say that it's like oh it doesn't it takes the piss out of the lava but it doesn't actually like re-watching it it does kind of it teeters it teeters from kind of making them the joke but also not the the bits that i didn't like was like when they called him like gay for liking yeah liking yeah. like larping and i was like yeah so that that bit mm. that's the that's the bits that i didn't like about yeah, it yeah. i was like ah, oh, you, you you were doing all right and then you then you ruined it by doing <laughs> that yeah I lovely think. right let's go around the board for scores let's start with ross out of five what do you oh, uh, okay do you uh i'm gonna give it hmm. well, favorite favorite bit in score uh, okay let's, let's my favorite that. bit is a starbucks scene that i like that scene um it's funny to me good writing um and i'm gonna give it um Three um, minotaurs out of out of five. Oh, fuck that. Fuck that. that shit. I couldn't <laughs> think of anything funny. Do you want to say that again? No, it's all right. Do you want to go from the top? Three minotaurs out of five. There you go. Go on. Three. All right. I fa- failed. Can't do it again. <laughs> Drew, what you got? I'm going to go 3.5 gingerly touched tips <laughs> out of five. Nice. Um, and my, my favorite bit is the definitely is the final battle where they show up in the i i minotaur i i really struggle with how americans pronounce minotaur minor a minotaur um but yeah just that whole final battle where they're all in the kiss gear and when sean william scott has died and then paul rudd punches and runs off like it's it makes me chuckle yeah so yeah three three point five um, oh, I'm sorry, I was just like, <laughs> I forgot. It's just the stupidest of humour, but you know, we've all been there, lads, whacking each other yeah. inappropriately Looks. in the balls at times that you shouldn't. I do enjoy that. Um, my favourite scene is pro- I actually quite enjoy the introduction of the bigs and the littles and just how mm. absurd that whole scene is where they're sat there and like. They they do again. They kind of poke fun at you know charitable people and you know people that <laughs> give their time. But I still found the scene quite entertaining when they met Ronnie and uh, Oogie for the first time and stuff. So that's probably my yeah. favorite scene. Um, I kind of under. I I think I'm gonna go between the boys and go for three point two five inappropriate ghost stories out of five. <laughs> 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 yeah all right then yeah i i really like this movie um i really yeah i think probably just just still drew's answer but my favorite scene is probably the the final battle that's just so much fun to watch just makes you want to get involved um oh yeah and i like the like the whole camping trip scene i think was was fun as well so i'm gonna give it 3.75 hot dogs being pushed up through the buns <laughs> 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 all right so pretty pretty average what drew what we got for uh, overall so it's it's come out at 3.38 out of 5 so okay. smack bang in the middle of the road or well no above the middle of the road and kind of 
Yeah, it, it is. It is a firm <laughs> recommendation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, coming yeah. in, coming in, not far below labyrinth. Hey. Mm. I think you've you got a good point, Ray. I think if you change just a couple of these jokes and release it today, it probably still would do so well. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think it would. I think it would hold up. And the actors got a lot of heart. Do it oh. complete justice. Yeah, that was, they're amazing. Yeah, and Sean William Scott and Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks probably all still look exactly the same yeah. and just look great. Fair play yeah. to them. All right, boys, let's get ready to dance with pictures. <laughs> it's time to get your sequels pitched. Anyone confident yeah. to go first or should I pick? I'll go first. All right. Ow. Yeah. Go for it, man. You're All ready. right. Role Models 2. Uh, nothing else. Um, okay, here we go. The film opens and we see the words 2020 on the screen. The camera pans in on Starbucks. We see a much older Augie Fox working behind the counter. A customer comes in and we get a hilarious scene in which she orders the most complicated coffee ever. (laughs) After that... You're not going to be able to keep that voice up, I'll tell you that for a fact. (laughs) (laughs) After that customer leaves, the next customer comes up. And it's Elspin, or whatever her name is, Sarah, and her friends. It's pretty awkward, and we learn that she hasn't seen Augie for a few years after they broke up, and that they've both left behind the LARPing, and they've tried to grow up. They awkwardly say goodbye, and their friends all make fun of him as they leave. Uh, Cut to the evening, and Augie is finishing up his shift. He leaves Starbucks, and the car pulls up to pick him up. It's Ronnie Shields! We we have some establishment of their friendship, and they're they're both in dead-end jobs with nowhere to... uh, with nowhere to go and after the events of the first movie both Danny and Anson have lost contact with them Um, they both decide they want to smoke some weed so they go to a dealer however something bad happens and they get caught by the police Uh, as they are in their holding cells in the police station cue a hilarious scene in which one of the cellmates thinks he's the reincarnation of Freddie Mercury but he's naked so funny! Oy. That would, I'd, yeah, I'd find that funny. I think. The parents come to bail them out, and they're told the kids have to be out of court. Uh, at court tomorrow. We then have, uh, we then see Danny and Anton. Danny is happily married with a child of his own, but he's working in an office to make ends meet. Uh, Anson has ended up with Jane Lynch's character, Gail. The parents of the two children go to visit Danny and Beth and plead with them to help the kids one more time to turn up to court and give a character witness. Um, he agrees. We then have an additional scene in which he's scrolling through his phone and sees an advert for a Viking experience in Norway. Cue funny Viking advert in which the speaker tells the viewer that this experience will teach them how to become adults. The parents then go to Anson's house, who has a full-on swingers party happening. Cue hilarious scene! He also agrees to help. Cut to outside the court. The boys are reunited with Danny and Anson. The boys are still a little bit uh, off with them as they haven't seen them for ages. Danny and Anson stand up at court and vouch for the boys, but it's not enough. And the judge, uh, so, uh, so for, uh, it's not enough for the judge. So Danny has a flashback to the Viking advert. He tells the judge that he will take them on this experience and teach them to be role models. He looks at Danny, thinks. He then glances at Gail, and she is doing something sexual with a piece of food towards the judge. He then definitely agrees. The... <laughs> The the boys travel to Norway. Cue hilarious scenes along the way. They are are picked up in an old beaten down minivan. One of the Viking, uh, which is driven by one of the Vikings. And they travel for hours and hours to the middle of nowhere. The boys see a small Viking village built out of wood with no technology in sight. The boys wonder why their phones aren't working out here. The lead Viking, played by Charlie Hunnam, says, Welcome to Grigor! 
Um, the next half of the film is the boys all reacting to things that they'd never experienced, like hunting, making leather outfits, creating fire, farming, etc. All done with an air of humour. Basically Valheim, if you've ever played that game. Uh, <laughs> the penultimate part of the movie comes when the boys get separated from Charlie Hunnam on a Viking exped- uh, on a hunting expedition, and they are left to survive alone in, the s- in a snowstorm. They try to copy the scene from Empire Strikes Back, where they tried to and they hide in a dead deer <laughs> however uh, that only one can fit in it cue a hilarious <laughs> scene um and then uh, they also have to fend off some wolves as well and then charlie hunnam eventually finds them a few days later and they've learned so much about themselves and each other they travel back to the us of a and have a follow-up with the judge and both of them give a, a Jeff Winger kind of speech from like community uh, about what they learned. Uh, that's the end of the movie. There you go. Oh, nice, nice. It sounds hilarious. You right. hilarious scenes. So many hilarious scenes. Um, okay, like I like this. I like it a lot. Um, a couple of quick questions. Any reasons Sarah and Olga have left behind laughing? Ah, uh, you know, they get, they get, they just get older, and you know, because th- I'm, I'm just taking, I'm going by how old the actors are now, which they're pretty, they're pretty old. Like, I, you know, the pressures of of modern day as well. I think, I think that he would have just stopped it after a while, especially because he, he becomes like the king, and I think that you know, once your power gets to your head, you just start to become a dick, probably. I, I. <laughs> Yeah, I would explain it probably that he probably may became a, a bit of a dick and that's why she didn't like him anymore. Okay, okay. <clears throat> uh, what's Ronnie been doing up until we meet him? Is he still uh, the same character as the as, as the Yeah, first yeah, one yeah. It's older? the same kid that plays him. He's like working in B and Q for or has he, Best has he still Buy. Got the same. Yeah. There you go, Best Buy for Americans. Um, has he still got the same? Yeah, he's 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 sort of the same as he as he was. Like he's quite like yeah, he's he yeah 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 yeah. What's Wheeler's motivation to help the boys? He just kind of agrees. Wheeler, which one's Wheeler again? Anson. Oh yeah, Anson is. Oh, as in Sean William Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's just you know he 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 also cares about. The kids. He cares about um, uh, whatever the other guy's name is. I'm really good at names with this. Um, uh, <laughs> what, what? Which one? The I, kids or Paul? No. Yeah. He he cares about uh, uh, Ronnie. That's Ronnie. it. He cares about Ronnie. So he also like yeah, he about as much as you care about <laughs> your pitch. Clearly. So yeah, he does care about Ronnie. So like that's his motivation. So they and but they and they. Like I want the journey sort of to be with the adults that they're now like in a it's kind of like this is 40 kind of situation where they're sort of stuck like um, in a sort of dead end. They're not they're not stuck in dead end jobs, but they're they're trying to escape from the like normality of having kids and having like Beth there as well. And the same with Sean William Scott, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, they they were adventurous at the end of role models, but as it's gone on they've gradually just grown up a little bit more um so yeah okay um when you say anson has a, has ended up with jane lynch was it is that a sexual or business relationship oh no sexual yeah sounds sexual, sexual to me yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean they're in, they're in a swingers party yeah, um, yeah is he working for sturdy wings or i was like oh is she, uh, like no 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 she's 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 yeah she's yeah okay some i can see that. i can i can actually see that so yeah that's fun um okay why have the four not kept kept in touch with these the years well, again, I think that the boys ended up being a bit of dicks toward like they they well, McLovin or whatever his name is, he <laughs> so, and and the other guy, uh Ronnie, he they've sort of turned into a bit of dicks. So they blame the actual they blame um Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott, but actually it's their fault that they're they're not in contact with them anymore, really. Because they just they just stopped talking to them. Okay, um, and then can you go more into your camping scenes? It seems to take up a big part of your movie. So, 
what do they do there how do they bring the how do they bring the things they've learned in the viking survival training so uh, them? so there's going to be become role models ultimately there's going to be scenes where they get given like axes and sort and like they've got to do like throwing lessons and they they're going to be like oh are these foam and then they throw it and you know and they've got to kill a deer and stuff they've actually got to kill something and eat it and like it's gonna be hilarious scenes of them trying to do stuff and them not realizing uh that because they 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 were this is real like this is not them this is not these guys like with foam swords this is actually people who who do this experience but like actually live off the land and make their own clothes and grow their own crops and stuff like that and so it's about learning that and i think they haven't had that they've been very mollycoddled in their lives that's what i want to get across anyway okay perfect thank you very much thanks um i will now turn over to do do you want to go next row or shall i make matt go yeah no go for it Save the best till last. Whenever you're ready, <laughs> Mr. Toynbee. Okay, uh, mine is also just role models too. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie starts off with uh, basically mirroring exactly the opening of the first film. Um, Danny is standing there in a suit and then Wheeler shows up also in a suit um, and says, guess what I did last night? And then he punches Danny in the dick and then Ronnie runs in and punches Danny in the dick and they're at Augie's wedding. Um, they they have the wedding. It's all lovely. Augie's looking really successful and grown up. He's marrying a girl called Lucy. Um, and it turns out that Wheeler and Danny weren't at the bachelor party. And so they've arranged to have like a special bachelor party with just the four of them because there's a big Lair event. So they're taking him on a road trip to the Lair event and then he's going off on his honeymoon with his new wife. Um, so they all go off um, in the Minotaur truck which is a bit of a metaphor through the film. Um, and as they're going, you sort of learn about how the characters have moved on, that Ronnie and Ronnie's at college and Augie's like, doing really well and he's got married, he's got a kid on the way and stuff like that. Um, and Danny and Wheeler kind of stuck on the past and talking about funny memories. Um, the first night they stop at a hotel and they're all sort of there having dinner and um, Augie and Ronnie just kind of want to talk, but Danny and Wheeler... Are, like trying to feed them drinks all night really secretly and from their perspective they're getting more drunk they think they're doing really well and then in the morning everyone wakes up and Augie and Ronnie are fine and it turns out they immediately spotted Danny and Wheeler trying to spike their drinks and just kept giving them back so Danny and Wheeler are completely fucked but Augie and Ronnie are fine and they drive them to Lair while they sleep off the hangover um at Lair like Wheeler sort of grabs Ronnie and he's trying to get him to help hit on girls and like doing silly things and messing around Danny is getting really really competitive trying to get Augie the win like he really really wants to help him win um but Augie doesn't seem that into it and he's like just wanting to chat and hang out um that first night at Lair Wheeler has some mushrooms um, and he's like, let's all take mushrooms. Augie and Ronnie still kind of don't really want to. Um, so Danny and Wheeler get really pissed off and they take them. And they're kind of gutted that the other two don't seem as into it. And they're a bit confused. And as the mushrooms kick in, they decide to play a practical joke on Augie. So they get a can of shaving foam and they get one of the confetti cannons from the Taste the Beast Minotaur truck. And they kind of jerry-rig this bomb to go off when augie opens his bag um but then they're really high and they forget about it and augie doesn't open that bag because it's just like his little carry-on bag he doesn't need it um and then the next day danny manages to get the win for augie um he like beats out this really rich kid who's there with his dad um and he's like celebrating but augie doesn't seem that into it um so they're all traveling to the airport to drop augie off to get him on the plane Um, to go to New York to get to Lucy to then go on to honeymoon and they start kind of bickering and Danny and Wheeler are saying hey we're like what's going on Um, we're trying to make it fun and you guys don't seem very very grateful and they start bickering and the audience notices there's a car following them Um, but that's kind of interrupted when while they're arguing Wheeler sort of has a minor fender bender with a taxi at the airport and so they're all kind of saying awkward goodbyes and 
Wheeler's not really paying attention because he's talking to the cabbie and Augie leaves to go and get on the on the plane. And then at security, they immediately open his bag and it explodes. So he's like tackled to the floor, gets fully arrested <laughs> and gets put on a no fly list. Um, so immediately they're like, oh, man, we we have to. Of course, we will drive you to New York. And um, Danny calls Beth and he's like, Beth, I need you to work your legal legal magic. You've got to get him off the no-fly list. You have to like expedite this quickly. And she's working on it. So they all get on the road again. They're sort of trying to have a laugh, but then they soon get into like just big, massive fight um, about Danny and Wheeler still treating Ronnie and Augie like they're kids. And Ronnie and Augie want them to want to interact with them as grown-ups and they they don't want that kind of relationship with them anymore and they sort of pull over because they're having this massive fight and you have lots of insults throwing around all the all of the chemistry that you had with the characters before and let them go with it but it gets a bit heavy when Augie realize when Augie reveals he didn't invite them or he arranged his bachelor party to happen at a time when they both couldn't make it because he was embarrassed of them um and so it it all sort of they're they're all kind of really sad and then the car that was following them shows up and a bunch of guys jump out and it's the dad of the kid who danny kind of screwed over to get augie the win they all get beaten up and augie gets thrown in the car and they drive off um the others have no phone signal um to call the police so they kind of oh yeah and when they beat them up the, the bad guys smash up the minotaur as well um the minotaur damn it I, i'm gonna i'm just gonna say minotaur now um and so they kind of fix up the minotaur as best they can and they tail the guys where they've got augie like in a back alley or on a bridge in the middle of nowhere and they're like gonna properly beat him up with like a crowbar um and so the minotaur breaks down again so wheeler and ronnie stay there trying to fix it up danny runs ahead he has a big monologue to the bad guy and he's like i was doing what you're doing i'm trying to i'm trying to force what i want on this kid um without considering what he actually wants like i'm trying you're doing what i did and stop doing this your kid doesn't want this then the kid gets out of the car he's like no i want this i wanted to fucking win and you screwed it up and so the guy's about to like hit augie and danny with the crowbar and then wheeler arrives in the minotaur at the last moment and like smashes the bad guy's empty car off the bridge and then like five seconds later the police all show up and ronnie shows up and is like you idiots i just went to higher ground and got signal the police are here what have you done um but it all gets sorted out in the end um, they managed to kind of get the Minotaur to limp the rest of the way, um, sharing the driving, rebonding. They get Augie to the airport where Beth has had the no-fly lifted. And as he leaves for his honeymoon, the guys all reconcile um, and sort of say, look, we know we can't have the relationship that we had when we were kids because we're grown-ups now, but we want to have we want to have fun with you as grown-ups. We want this to change. And they're all super happy, and that's the end of the film. Very nice. A bomb going off. That's going to be fun. Um, I mean, it's a shave, a shaving foam yeah. bomb. Like it's not going to kill anyone. <laughs> um, okay, so what's happened with Danny and Wheeler since the first film? Are they still working for Minotaur? Um, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I I didn't make that clear. Wheeler is still doing exactly the same job, but he now just drives the truck as well, and he loves it. Um, he is effectively unchanged mm-hmm. um, to a large degree. With Danny, I kind of I I started off wanting him to have taken over Sturdy Wings, um, but it I couldn't I I couldn't quite work out how to make that fit thematically with my whole idea that the the first one is about making Danny and Wheeler grow up by effectively it's about accepting becoming parents and having that give meaning to your life and making you a better person and this one is about your kids flying the nest and having to evolve your relationship and so i thought about having danny be the head of sturdy wings and bring that in and having to go to jane lynch in the third act as like a twist to get help about something but it didn't work out so danny we don't specify what he does but beth is still very successful like they've got a like a 10 year old kid at this point and but it's that isn't really the point it's all just about the character's relationships okay um Bloody hell, this Minotaur truck goes through a journey itself. It's if I get this if I get this right, Wheeler, Wheeler crashes the car during the fight. Not bad enough though, so they still get to the airport. Um why doesn't the bad guy at that point that's following them 
if he if they because they crashed they're, a little bit when they they're they're at so he they're arriving at the airport and he just kind of bumps into the back of a of a car outside the airport oh, okay. so there's lots of people around so they can't do it there okay um there was i also i i must have when i was trying to get it down to one page the first night when um Danny and Wheeler are drunk. I also had a thing where they were humping the Minotaur and the horn broke off. Um, and that was meant to be the start of the truck being representative of their relationship and their relationship deteriorating, but managing to carry on to the end. But I must have taken that out when I was shortening the length of my pitch. Yeah, I, I like that. That's quite good. Um, all right. Uh, so the Minotaur is stuck. Augie is caught, but the tiny... Sorry, I'm just reading some of my notes. That's right. So when the bad guys uh, come and pick up Augie, the Minotaur yeah. isn't completely broke then because it's no, used... they they kind of they smash it up and they slash a couple of the tires and like maybe they lift the bonnet and smash the engine a bit. Like it's it's basically dead, but they manage to like put it back together enough so that Wheeler can drive it into their car. Okay, I love it. Um, and then. <laughs> um, just to clear something up, um, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. did Ronnie tell the others that he was calling the police? And if not, why not? Um, it doesn't show that yeah. um, because I want the reveal. Like yeah. in my head, I was seeing it as maybe having Ronnie be like, Wheeler, Wheeler, I need to like, we can stop, stop. We can and we can go like, and get help. And Wheeler's like, no, man, I've got to do this. Yeah. We've got to help them. Yeah. And so Ronnie's just like, fuck this and just runs off. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think you could you could add that in, but I think you can get away with it. Hopefully, the moment is tense enough. Um, it's figure. like a Hitchcock yeah. refrigerator moment. It doesn't really matter if someone's at the fridge after seeing the film and they go, "Hang on, why didn't Ronnie just tell Wheeler?" As long as in the moment it's tense enough that the audience doesn't notice, then sure. hopefully we get away with it. Uh, so quickly, two of my big questions are. Augie and Ronnie's characters, uh, since the first one, have, they've obviously grown up and evolved, but how are they still going to be likeable and funny while taking on the more, what seems to be the more responsible role model role? So I I see it being... So Ronnie would be approximately like 21, 22. He's just out of college. He would still be there to have fun, mm. but his through line is kind of... He's trying to get Wheeler to to acknowledge that this is a this weekend's about Augie, where Wheeler's like, no, this is Wheeler and Ronnie time. Mm. Um, but he's still like a young guy who would still be up for having a laugh. As far as Augie goes, like a lot of his comedy came from him being quite awkward. And so you can have flashes of him being quite awkward with Danny and being embarrassed by him, but also allow some flashes of confidence to come through. And he's like a 31-year-old guy now and have him... Mm have him banter back and have that relationship change a bit more. Not so much like McLovin that. anymore. That's how I see it. Yeah, I see. I get you. I get you. Uh, and then quickly, the uh, so the older gents treat the younger two like they're kids. Why do they still yeah. treat them like that? I'm, I'm assuming they've had a relationship this whole time between two, the two films. Yeah, definitely. So why are they still and treating it's... them when obviously they're around 21 and probably, what, 31 or something? Yeah, roughly. Mm. Uh, I, I see it as they kind of... <sighs> the relationship with those kids helped both of them to get to a better place in their lives. And people can have a tendency to hold on to that specific moment in time. It's like when you sometimes, or some people, when they meet up with their friends from school, they revert back to being teenagers and that's how they interact with each other. And that's kind of how I was seeing it of Wheeler and Danny seeing these two as like wanting that relationship to stay as it is again it's all a metaphor about letting your kids grow up and accepting that they're changing rather than holding your kids down as kids and seeing them as adults kind of thing maybe not entirely realistic for the relationship that was set up in the first film but it it makes sense for the narrative i want to tell (laughs) like we've all been there where your parents are treating you like a kid and you desperately just want them to accept that you are a damn grown-up very nice. Very nice. Right, last but not least, it's Matt Rushton. Matt, what have you got for us? Okay, boys, I am bringing you today Role Models Worlds Apart. 
Oh, we've got a title. Of course, we have a title. Well I, I, a colon. A bit of creativity. Got a well done. That's extra part. Extra points yes. there. Role models two. <laughs> Boring. Yes. All right. When you're okay. ready. Okay. What a few years it's been. Augie, having finally found solace, kinship, and his queen in the first movie, is now working alongside Sweeney at Castle Sturdy Wings. But Sturdy Wings is not a formidable castle. It is struggling financially. The huge corporation Minotaur Energy Drinks has its eyes on buying the charity as part of its new family-friendly ethos. Danny has taken ownership of a coffee house, and he and Wheeler are working on their own natural energy drink line, Clear Peace. The tagline is Clear Peace, not Shrek's Piss. Augie pays a visit to his old kinsman Danny, who is happy to see him and they spend some time catching up. Turns out that Danny and Beth are doing well, and so, is, or, so are Augie and Esplin, or also known as Sarah in real life. Augie has a kid now, Daniela, named after some courthouse guy he once knew. Danny apologises for not hanging out with him so much after the lair event, citing a load of half-assed reasons. The two talk and Augie explains what's happening at Sturdy Wings, and Danny's determined to help. He gets Beth involved. Beth checks through the legal paperwork, but struggling to find a reason for the sale not to go through. In quite a sombre scene, actually, Sweeney confesses that she's struggling after a legal case in which one of the previous bigs went to... Uh, so a previous legal case involving one of the bigs went awry in court. And Sturdy Wings coffers basically went to pay all the damages. So essentially, Sturdy Wings is now like 500 grand in debt, $500,000 in debt, and can't afford to keep the lights on. Danny asks Augie about Lair and whether that community can help raise some money by doing some dragon extravaganza or something. And the plot is formed. Clearpiece sponsors the event, sinking quite a lot of their money into the gig in the process. The Lair community kind of rally round and they pull together and they put a plan together which is basically called the World Breaker, a huge, huge LARPing event where they essentially invite people from all around the world, anywhere in the world, to come and take part in this charity LARP fundraiser kind of weekend event thing. Um, the middle act of the movie is kind of the guys trying to market this weekend, are trying to get a load of people to get signed up, um, using like the modern day social media channels, so things like TikTok and Instagram and whatnot, but they're really struggling. It's not really any of their forte. Uh, and there's an air that they're kind of feeling defeated. But Wheeler has been like really getting into this vlogging thing and has started recording himself doing just the most cringy TikToks all the time. And he's filming himself and the guys all kind of stood around. They're having a chat. And Augie uh, opens up about how much Lair and Sturdy Wings means to him and how he cannot bear the thought of being defeated in this battle. Wheeler films the whole speech and essentially puts it online and he's just like, oh, just put it online, nothing's going to happen. And that night, nothing does happen. The next morning, however, the guys wake up with a week to go before the world breaker and barely a thousand pound raise. They're still feeling pretty deflated. That is until they check their emails and they are flooded. It turns out the video went viral with the likes of Matt Mercer and Critical Role, Wizards of the Coast, and even Joe Magnello <laughs> himself sharing the video in the event on all their <laughs> platforms. Suddenly there's interest from literally fucking everywhere. Uh, lot communities from every continent and role-playing communities from every continent are wanting to take part. They're even willing to fly over to be included. And those that can't, those that are like, oh, no, we can't make it, that's shit. Um, they send a load of donations to the event fund, which has basically gone from like $1,000 to almost $300,000 overnight. Uh, it's amazing. They all start losing their shit. Um, then another familiar face turns up after a quick phone call from Wheeler. And Ronnie, Ronnie's there. He's now a college boy. Uh, he rocks up with a load of his mates and basically they do all the admin work. They get stuck in. Dealing with all the emails, there's a load of funny stuff where there might be a load of frat boys and they can't work out computers, I don't know, whatever, I'll leave that to the writers. Um, but by, by the time <laughs> they've got it sorted, basically there's like 90 communities from all around the world coming to this weekend and they've raised over $500,000, it's like $550,000, so they're like, oh my god, we've done it, we've done it, amazing! So they go to the event, it's a really cool event, there's the cameos from the earlier mentioned celebs and whatnot, 
um, you know, there's a critical role like Turn Up, Adventure Zone there, whoever, any other role-playing community, Danger Club podcaster there, shout out, they're there, <laughs> they're, they do terribly, they're out pretty quick. Um, <laughs> but uh, it basically, uh, it's just True. the most amazing time. Um, however, it turns out that obviously putting on such a huge event, they had not budgeted for this at all. So once they've added all the costs incurred from feeding, hosting, tending so many people, they end up raising about $425,000 and they're actually $75,000 short of the $500,000 needed. So the power of new media comes in once again. However, as Joe Mang- Manganiello, I can never say his name, I'm so sorry, Joe. Um, he, he won, he is the king of the new world after being the last survivor of the World Breaker event. Um, basically, he offers to auction his title to whoever, and he calls on his minions or the celebs and whatnot to get involved. And he ends up, he auctions it off, and he raises about $200,000. So way more than the 75000 needed. I just thought that would be a nice little lift. So there's loads more celeb cameos and whatnot there. And they've done it. Hey, cheer. Uh, the movie then cuts to six months later, like after they've wrapped that bit up. Uh, Sturdy Wings is actually in a new facility, um, and they've got their own insignia on the building, kind of like Avengers style, Avengers Tower esque. Um, the coffee shop, as big as that, uh, it, it might knock a couple of floors off. We don't need that many. Um, the coffee shop we cut to, it's actually under new ownership, and there's kind of like a hanging cord for a moment, a really sad moment. Danny lost his coffee shop. However, the camera pans to reveal a massive billboard with Danny and Wheeler's faces on it and clear piece is clearly this huge fucking success. Natural energy drink, everybody, woo! And they're all chuffed with that. Um, and then we cut to another LARPing event and John Cena is there, probably seen with a bunch of his, fan, uh, his uh, Fast and Furious 9 minions uh, and they're all on the battlefield. And we, ass- <laughs> we see a sign that just reads... World Baker, World Baker, World Breaker returns. World in chains, and we fade to black at the end. Very nice, very nice. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> got some good cameos and stuff in there. I like you it. Know it. Um, why, um, why is Minotaur buying Sturdy Wings a bad thing if they want to try and keep it a family-friendly ethos thing? Well, I mean, it, the, these are the guys that make energy drinks that i know they do the whole don't do drugs drugs are bad but they're forcing an agenda in the first one i feel like they're just like they're representing a major corp that is probably just going to go in and everything's going to be sponsored by minotaur like you can make much more about the fact that these guys like they're not like if there's going to be an antagonist the corporation could be the antagonist perhaps you know, they could just offer to fund it, but they want to buy it just to put in. I, I put family friendly ethos in inverted commas, but obviously we're a podcast, so sorry, audience, you can't see that. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's essentially like just some bullshit uh, corporate social initiative that they're trying to do. They Maybe they've had a bad rep. There can be something about like they've fucked up because they polluted Lake Michigan or summit. Who knows? Uh, does Wheeler still work for Minotaur? No, neither of them work for Minotaur. Wheeler kind of lives mm-hmm. off uh, the work that they're doing with Clearpiece. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't really... I, I struggled to kind of think what Wheeler would do after winning for Minotaur. I considered putting them back there, but then I thought, nah, they, they, they're done there. They're better than that now at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. So I actually moved them away, unlike some of our other pictures from uh, this corp. Um, yeah, so speaking of clear piece, it's a startup business that sponsors the event, so they're doing they're doing quite well. Then does does Danny need his coffee shop job? Or I mean, he is the coffee shop job feeding the uh, the, um, the the clear piece. Yeah, he he's not earning enough from clear piece at the moment. You know, it's it's a semi established name, natural energy drinks. Um, you know, they're becoming quite popular. They've got a bit of backing obviously with Beth involved as well she's helping with a lot of things but you know they they don't exactly look like they're doing amazing um the the coffee shop was essentially just a bit of a nod to the fact that uh Danny goes through a significant change trying to impress Beth Mm -hmm. and realizing what venti means in the coffee term 
Not the literal term. So it was, it it was a comedy shop. nod, to be honest. The coffee shop isn't that important. It's more I really wanted to go with okay. clear piece. Yeah, okay. Um, so why does Oggy visit Danny then? Uh, if they haven't seen each other in a while, why does Danny think he can help? Or is it just social? But if it's just social, why is he suddenly going over there? Um, because I feel like, you know, Sturdy Wings was where him and Danny met. And Oggy's quite a... S- a sentimental chap with him now being a dad and whatnot as well perhaps there can be more about their relationship breaking down or you know perhaps you know Augie could try and call him first and Danny just doesn't answer um, or Mm -hmm. something where essentially Danny's just still a bit of a shit friend but in the way that he doesn't mean to be but just never quite makes time for his friends um, and that's kind of how they grew distant. This is why I was like, oh, he comes up with like some quite half-assed reasons. Um, but mm. then actually when they sit down and start talking, that kind of friendship instantly starts reconnecting and rekindling. I think we've all got friends like that that we could probably associate to, where we wonder why we're not as close, but then you spend some time and you're like, oh, God, we are close, and then you drift apart almost instantly again. Okay, so can you go more into the, um, obviously a big part of the movie is going to be the marketing of The Weeknd. So what funny scenes are we going to have? How will the story develop? And why does Wheeler film Augie's speech? Well, as I've said, Wheeler is, he's kind of doing a lot of the video media stuff, like the TikTok videos and Instagram videos. He's trying to become like a bit of a vlogger. Uh, And he just starts randomly filming himself all the time. Um, and he's become quite attached to just like sitting there and filming himself. So he's mucking around with his video anyway, and he hears Wheeler talking. So he actually he actively films Wheeler's speech, um, you know, because like, it just kind of connects with Wheeler, and he sees, you know, whether he sees it as a marketing opportunity. I don't know if he's that clever, but you know, he ends up pointing the camera to actually record Oggy showing all his emotions and letting it all out. But yeah, he's. The idea was that in doing, you know, referencing the social media channels and like just showing Wheeler being really crap at it, and Paul would just kind of be like, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, he just keeps making a load of wacky lines. Um, it's is, you know, you'd watch it, the middle scene, you'd watch it and wonder, you'd kind of get that they weren't marketing this very well, and they hadn't really thought it through. They got really excited. They've got the Lair community there and they're all doing stupid things. Like They probably end up doing a car wash and silly things like that in their LARP gear. Um, who knows? Like You could take that any which way. Um, I'm just bringing you the pitch. I'm not writing you the script. That's Matt's quote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait to get there it t-shirt. is. Everyone have a shot. <laughs> yeah. Right. Very well done, all of you. Um, yeah, I'm struggling because I do like them all. So, convince me, boys, why should I pick yours? You should pick mine because it's funny, it's got hilarious scenes, it's not boring like <laughs> Drew. Saying insert hilarious scene does not a hilarious scene, yeah, make. it's not boring like Drew's. All right, oh, bombs in the airport, yeah, that's a hilarious, oh, yeah, famously boring. <laughs> Famously boring bombs. And if you want Matt's, which is Event Simulator 2021, then you can do that, but it will bore the audience. Matt's Mr. Oh, I want to be a cyberpunk base against the corporations. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's right. I'm going personal. I don't care. Yeah. So, yeah. Ross Ross isn't even focusing on the content of the pictures anymore. Ross is just getting deeply personal. Because he has to insert his own cue hilarious scenes because he couldn't naturally actually think of a narrative that offered any humor whatsoever <laughs> so he had to enforce hey, that hey. on us sorry listeners that you had to be told what was funny and what wasn't funny in this hey, movie hey just like you i write the picture don't write the script <laughs> Look, the the fact is both of these two both have stories where the the first film builds to these characters all having a really decent relationship theirs then end with them or start up again with them having had no intervening relationship and both sets of adults being randomly pulled in to help with 
the kids <gasps> needing more help again. No one has changed. It's just two slightly different rehashes of the first film. At least mine involves actually growing their relationship, building off of what was there before, no, what? and still having opportunities. Yeah, if you want the Hangover to, Part said... Four, then pick Drew's. <laughs> Pictures yeah. movie. Also, no, it's not also, the hangover also, because the wedding's already happened. Also, they're not trying to get him to the wedding. They're trying to get him to the also, honeymoon. I thought of that so before you said it. Listeners, also go. <laughs> listeners, go back and listen to what Drew said a minute ago. Uh, before he went, oh yeah, it's not really what they build on off of the film like that. But that's the sort of narrative genre and the journey that I want to go in in my in my sequel. So and you, they absolutely could build off of uh, that. You're like, you're now just oh, just changing it, mate. I lo- I say one <laughs> sentence refuting you, and Ross immediately resorts to going oh funny noises. He has no you know Ross has no argument. Ultimately, I bring you the most by far the most honest and by far the most connected sequel to the original movie we haven't oh, moved events. away from a lot because oh they got old and they can't do things like that anymore because when you're an adult <laughs> apparently you become dead inside so i my character you know i've got him he's still with esplin as well i'm the only one who actually acknowledges that the romance from the first movie these guys are like oh he's with beth oh he's with veronica oh he's with whoever whatever <laughs> I keep what? I they are. How many people grow up and marry the person that they get with when they're like 16? I'm yeah, still with exactly. the person I got yeah, with at 18. <coughs> yes, I know you are. But how many of the rest hey, of us I'm are? Hey, I'm putting a bit of myself in this script then. There you go. Thanks for reinforcing my point, Drew. I've put a it bit of myself in It basically becomes magical realism. So basically... Matt, Matt is really sentimental. He got that from the first film. But I, I fail to, fee- to see how it's actually funny. Yeah, because it's just events, yeah? Oh, I it's brought you a it's pitch. Deep. I don't write the humour. I bring you the pitch. I even gave yeah, you a tagline, which is great. You can still come up great. with funny scenarios. I gave you a tagline, which is great. I also, Ross and I also both presented pitches, and we both at least were able to well, suggest time, where comedy time, might I'll be. Black and white, and go insert funny scene every five <laughs> minutes in my comedy pitch. <laughs> Hey, I'm not saying that's much better. Uh, hey, what I do, I bring some. <laughs> and that's real why you should weight. pick mine. I bring some fucking amazing role playing cameos from areas. Nerd. This is a nerdgasm kind of movie. They're going to watch it and they're going to be like, oh my God, it's fucking Matt Mercer. Oh my God, it's Joe. Insert surname. No, nobody you know, knows. Manganello. No one knows outside of nerd culture who Matt Mercer is. It's not going to appeal matter. to the Doesn't global. Doesn't matter because no one knew who half the cast in the original movie were. So for those watching it, they're just going to be like, "Oh, cool! Like that's that's a guy with cool long hair." Where those that are in nerd culture are going to lose their shit. So you know, no one knows who fucking Danger Club <laughs> podcast is. I still put you in it. You're welcome. Shout out, free bloody publicity from your friend there. I have brought something um, with a clear journey that is more than them. They are doing something for more than them because they are more than themselves together. Uh, all right, all right, all right. I kind of heard enough to kind of be confident with my answer. Kind of. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was one of our most. Um, authoritative yeah, we, we give you gold you give me a gold. lot of gold that's why it's so hard to come up with an answer <laughs> um right all right fuck it all right let's do this um so like everyone's basically everyone's got little bits of holes um i will declare the winner to be it's got to be Matt, I'm afraid. You know it! Yes! Yes! What yes! Yes! Drew, I really liked yours. I just didn't see it as a role model's film. If it was a different film, I think it'd be great. Um, I really liked the metaphor you were trying to go for and stuff. Comedy-wise... I really liked everything about comedy-wise, it. Comedy-wise, was there a <laughs> lot of comedy opportunities in there? And Yes, literally put... Like, I literally said about, like, Sean William Scott and Paul Rudd humping a, a van, and you laughed. I yeah, said but it's about not a in bomb, this pitch, though, and you it? laughed. Well, yes, it was. It was. No, it isn't, though. Uh, Ross, I was really banking on you coming out with... Um, selling me on what they were doing in the camping, because I really liked that idea of them kind of going and trying to be men. Um... I just didn't get enough 
from me, I'm afraid. Um, Sound like my girlfriend. We. <laughs> I can see, I can see comedy opportunities in Matt's. Where's your like Drew? You've got the bomb, which is, yeah is quite funny, and then. All the bits I described, the punching in the dick, the ramming the car, the calling the cops, all the bits where I there saw you bits laugh I was crying, when I was laughing. talking Is that it. enough to keep going through the whole film? Good question. I'm Good not question, sure. Andy. I'm not completely, to be honest, I'm not completely sold on Matt's. <laughs> it's just, I think I can see Matt's working as a role model to film um, as it's trying to still be, uh, well, you've all been trying to do role model films, so that's that's bad basically <laughs> yours two aren't role model sequels matt's is a role model sequel i agree andy i agree i'm outraged yeah event Just simulator outrageous. 2021 with paul rudd and fucking <laughs> sean william scott oh let's balance the books come on we need to make more bloody money get fucking come on let's get on tiktok anyway we come to an end of another happy episode yes yay <laughs> yes Great choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks. That was hard, that really was. So, Matt, what film are you going to make us watch? Okay, I think I'm going to give a couple of you boys a chance to really redeem your comedy prowess technique. Andy, I oh, feel me. like you are old. comedy to the core, so um, you're going to nail this one. But we're going to take a more British spin on a comedy movie this time. We're going to go... And do the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost classic, Hot Fuzz. Oh, all right. Fuck, that is a real classic. Yeah. Good choice, Matthew. Good Thank choice. You. British comedy at its arguably best. Yeah, it's one of the finest. Mm. One of the finest. It really is. Well done. Congratulations, Matthew. Thanks, guys. Unlucky, unlucky guys. Very close. Very close. They were. I, I was mean to Ross. It was still a great pitch. I lulled a lot, but. It was Vikings, and I'm always going to hold you accountable for that. And Drew, I was genuinely crying, as you saw probably on more than one occasion. There were some very funny bits. There was. There was. Oh, you said there weren't a minute ago. (laughs) I'm not sure there's enough to continue going through a whole comedy movie. Anyway, made my my, my decision. I'll stick with it. Goodbye from me, Andy Henry. Goodbye from our winner, Matt Rushton. Goodbye. Goodbye from bitter, bitter Drew Toynbee. Goodbye, everyone. And goodbye to Ross. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.